Cool. I'm Michael Knowles here to tell you that Rules for Retrogrades, the book and the show, are out now, and you absolutely need to check it out before the Thought Police confiscate all of it and lock you away. What's up, everybody? We are coming to you live today on Friday, the retrogrades. We're here with a special guest, Mr. Steve Skojic of 1 Peter 5. Of course, you know me, Tim, and my brother there, Dave. But we're excited to, we always like having shows with Steve, who wrote an excellent article yesterday, uh, May 14th, for uh, 1 Peter 5, his site there. And it's called, The World Has Gone Crazy, But Maybe Not Quite As Crazy As We Fear. Steve, it was an excellent article, and I wanted to talk to you about it today. What's Thanks, up? man. Yeah. How's Good to be here. Are we really live? Are we are we doing this live? Well, no, I was I... thinking of Bill O'Reilly. We're quoting Bill O'Reilly <laughs> from the infamous <laughs> clip right before running. And, yeah, so I said we're, we're doing it live. Because I was like, I'm in a frame of mind where you may want to have editing available. I'm just saying. <laughs> according to your article, you are. And, and according to my mood, I've been too. I, I think we've all been in a frame of mind where editing should be available. And unfortunately, <laughs> as we go about our lives, it's not. As I'm interacting with these uh, finger-wagging, lecturesome, sermonizing grocery store clerks who keep telling uh, me where my kids should, which stand, candy bar they should stand next to uh, in COVID-19 and all that. I wish I had edit, but I wish I could edit several of the people in my day-to-day life. <laughs> like, Just... Just inflict on them the censoring thing. You ever see, okay, there was a show, I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, Black Mirror. And there was an episode of that show. It's this weird kind of Twilight Zone, but much darker type of show. darker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there was one where people had these implants in their brain and they could actually edit people out of their lives so that it would mute them and it would pixelate them. So they would they would interact with the people in real life, but they couldn't hear them, they couldn't see them. They had the option of blocking people in real life because the implant in their brain would actually stop the sensory input. And that uh, like yeah, that's basically what you're looking for. <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, the last since you know roughly Easter to now, uh, that that sounds like uh, a dream. I know I know Black Mirror is supposed to be a spooky Twilight Zone thing, but that sounds like a. A seriously good. Yeah, movie. I can't recommend it to everybody because it, it gets pretty dark at moments, and the first episode is rough. Uh, those of you who have any sensitivity to anything, don't watch the first episode of Black Mirror. Um, well, people on Catholic uh, <laughs> social media have sensitivity to everything. Yeah, so I know that that would include all of them. I was just admiring your uh, your Star Wars poster in the back. Oh, thanks. Something. You know, I've had that for a while, and it's been just laying around my office, so I stuck it up on the wall so that people will be mad at me for having Star Wars in the same frame as uh, right. the statues of the Blessed Virgin. You have it two inches from the top of Mary's crown, you blasphemer. It's like, yeah, I, I'm not saying Star Wars is as good as Mary, because it's clearly not. Uh, just needed some color back there, you know? It looks good. I was admiring Thanks. it, too. Is that episode four? Or yeah, it's the first, <laughs> first one, New Hope. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, 
Um, my hope for Star Wars was crushed when I saw the first Disney one. It was just terrible. <laughs> I also ironically have, and I don't think you can see it, but I have a Don't Tread on Me poster above St. Michael treading on Satan. It's juxtaposition. Did you do it on Maybe. purpose? I noticed it. I was No, I went to put it up, and I was like, that's kind of a weird place to put it, but I was like, eh. It'll go there. That's you fine. should have just had a dialogue box, or a, like, you know, like from the serpent's mouth, uh, or the dragon's mouth, in the case of Saint Michael here. Oh, uh, I get saying, "Don't tread on me," and yeah. maybe, bro, Saint Michael's <laughs> like, "Hold my don't beer. don't tase me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't sword me, bro." So yeah. this is where uh, we are uh, on May fifteenth, twenty twenty. This is. <laughs> This is where the level of cogency and, and dialogue getting weird. We're, we're, we're scrutinizing Skojek's uh, uh, interior decorating, which I, I actually admire quite a lot of it. But I mean, we've we've mentioned two pieces that I do. Yeah, this is, we mean they did an interview with Jason Jones a couple weeks ago, and we were that guy is a ball of energy, isn't he? He's 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 dynamic. He is. Yeah. Yeah, you I can't help but love fear him. of life, Stephen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I mean, but we were we started out that first. We've interviewed him twice in like three weeks, but we did that first one, and we were just talking about our mustaches, and and then the strange <laughs> institution of the blonde mustache, and I was like, guys, where's this interview going? Uh, <laughs> but you know what? It's it's the best times. In all right, so let's get to your article, Steve. In in COVID nineteen days or whatever and all of us probably have slightly variegated views on the depth of the skullduggery that that's fine note how we're all still friends um you share almost right out the gate in the article everyone should go watch it we're going to link it in the show even though this isn't we're not doing it live uh we'll link it we have edits we will we'll edit out all of dave's uh you know you're editing out his mustache real time right now aren't you yeah, right. so there's, there's a moving <laughs> sensor bar. I edited out my own mustache with a razor the other day because I saw, I looked in the mirror and I saw how ugly and pederasty I looked. So, <laughs> people don't know though, this is an interesting behind the scenes rules for retrogrades facts. Dave's uh, Tourette syndrome means seven to nine hours of editing all of his swears <laughs> out of every show. Did you guys know that? He will burst into just a, a ball of flame and cursing. Like once every, uh, I don't know, what is it, 45 seconds? And Steve, only our guests know this. We have to pull all that out. It's, it's, it's exhausting. I got to admit, like, you got to set aside a whole day to do the show. Right. I made right. Steve cry twice already. <laughs> right. Right. No, but so I like how in your article, Steve, uh, you, you jump right into, you go to the bank and. Yeah. You're you're talking to this guy that's trying to be friendly, a clerk, and of course you have to jump through hoops or whatever because of COVID nineteen, yeah. and so you can only see him at his desk or whatever it was, and he immediately starts in a what mock friendly tone, trying to tell you, oh crazy days, and he says dismissively with a la with an air of you know uh, a glint of laughter in his eye, he says, my last guest uh, or my last uh, the last guest to the bank literally was so sick of being at home with the kids that they killed all of their frozen embryos or, or yeah. just yeah so you what said. Well, no, I just it was you know it was one of these things where uh, you know I was already annoyed walking in because my wife and I had had this argument in the car on the way there you know everybody's stressed out 
And we get inside and we go sit down with him. And he was like, you know, how are things going for you guys? And I was like, well, it's really not that different because we work from home anyway. We're always here. Um, but our kids have been home since the beginning of March. And it's getting a little nuts because we got a lot of kids at home. And they're bouncing off the walls. And he was like, yeah, man, you know, the, this couple came in here. And they were so sick of being at home with their kids that they, they sent the order to destroy all their embryos. And I swear to you, I didn't even process it at first. It was so out of the blue and so unexpected. And I was still thinking about, you know, the discussion that I had had before walking in. And I just didn't know what to say. Like, I completely shut down. And there's this voice in the back of my head that starts kicking in as my brain's like, no, he actually said that. You know, where I'm like... I, I should tell this guy what a crappy thing to say that was, but I, I, I just, it was like tires spinning on ice. Like I couldn't get traction. Luckily my wife said something about, you know, that's awful or whatever, but, and then they moved on. But I was just like, this is where we are in the world. That this kid who I found out later in the conversation just graduated from college. Um, like this is, you know, a joke to him. And, and there was an aspect to it where he, you got the feeling he sensed it was a little bit cringy. He just, I don't know, there was no, the, the sense of any kind of moral outrage was absent. It was yeah. just an anecdote. It was just, uh, you know, yeah, like you, you guys, said, oh, crazy times, you know, whatever. Yeah, I, I get in that situation a lot with people. We live in such a perverse society nowadays that people will bring things up in casual conversation where it's meant to kind of be like a backslapper comment or just right. some... Some some offhand remark, and they'll say something like pretty wicked, like, uh, "Yeah, me and my wife, uh, where we've decided to stop having children." And it's like I'm I'm torn because I want to you know carry on the casual conversation and be like, and, and not have like a gaff where I stick my foot in my mouth or I end those you know people liking me. But it's atrocious because I'm mainly not trying to just. Um, I'm, I'm trying to go on with the conversation and just keep the ball rolling. So uh, then I'll accidentally like affirm what they've said, or I'll, uh, I'll just have <laughs> right, been, like you'll you know, nod or not something. listen. Yeah, I'll nod and I won't be really listening. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. And I realize that I've been tuning them out and not really doing due diligence to the conversation. And then I just like affirmed their wicked proposition that they've brought up. And then I like. Five minutes later, I'm having a crisis of conscience when it's sunk in. It's like, what do I do? Should I walk back into the exactly. store and be like, you shouldn't do that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's how I get. Because people talk to me about the most asinine stuff when I'm, like, checking out of the store. Or just, yeah. like, you know, old ladies will see a, a large family in the store. And they assume because I am a father of, like, five children that I care about each and every one of the children that their son has sired with various baby mamas. And they'll insist <laughs> on telling me the tale of, of all of their kids who have stupid names that all end with something that rhymes with Aiden or like, it's Brayden, Raiden, Jaden, Caden, and Maiden. <laughs> and these are our kids' names, and I, I don't care. Stop telling me about your kids. But so much of the time... Yada, yada, yada. I don't care about people's stories. So I go on autopilot and I tune them out and I accidentally affirm their mortal sins. That's all. Yeah. The number one anecdote where you're presented with a, the moral conundrum that you just described is with the so-called, and I want to kick my own A here, the yeah. snip snip. 
Yeah. So you, I, I've never been, I mean, we, we originally, the only um, good homeschooling group we had when we first got back to Bakersfield years ago was a home, uh, Protestant homeschooling group. That's actually where I knew Dr. Erickson from, uh, you know, the, the now famous Dr. Erickson who, who did the COVID thing. So there's a tie in and all everywhere we turned when we go to the quarterly meeting where you would re- turn in your kid's report card or whatever, uh, homeschool report card and they would file it to the state of California for you. It was like one night, there were like three or four, it might have been four. It was three at least conversations where we're kind of going around seeing the little display tables. They try, they have like cheap cookies and cheap punch and they kind of try to, in a really perfunctory way, make a night of it. And so you're there for like the hour and a half and Steph kept getting into conversations with other women that were bringing up the snip snip, the, the mutilation and, you know, again, it's like, they're like, oh, the public schools are so bad. They're so pagan, blah, blah, blah. So you and your husband have however many kids we had at the time. It was like four. Uh, or maybe it was only th- two. Uh, are you thinking of getting, the, is your husband going to get the, the snip snip anytime soon? And Steph would be like, no. You try to walk the line of perfect <laughs> neutrality if you're in a right. good mood. And like Dave said, a lot of times you're like, wait, was that too affirmative? Or if you just if you're on your game, you're just like I'm going to tell them why you shouldn't do that. But the thing is, look, we all like to argue, right? I think that's a pretty safe statement about the three of us. But (laughs) you know, there comes a point where you're like, I just would like to act as though I have some social graces and I can be in people's company without having to have a brawl about some moral issue constantly. I don't want to be in that position all the time. It's uncomfortable. Like I said in my article about this dude at the bank. I'm kind of kicking myself for not saying something, but then I'm like, what difference is it going to make? He wasn't talking about what he did. He was talking about what somebody else told him that they did, and he has no control over that. And how is that going to help me open the savings account I'm trying to open right now? (laughs) It has nothing to do with that. And I don't want to go off on some tangent. His name was Clark, and I actually kept, I was making fun of him. I kept saying, damn it, Clark, because he was screwing stuff up. Like, yeah. damn it, Clark, why why do you have to tell me stories like this? Now I can't get a savings account. Like, he has nothing to do with this. So, right. I don't know. Just, there, there is a connection, because, I mean, like, there is a connection, because if I moralize to this guy, which I, I'm Steve, I'm pretending to be you now, Steve. I'm Steve Skojic. I'm doing this all the time. I'm sick of it. Batman's got to take off the cape sometimes. <laughs> Steve, a right. stupid analogy. But it's like, yeah, I just wanted to go open a bank account and like whatever, like have a nice outing. And I'm going to slip into the shoes of a guy that wouldn't get in an argument with Clark here today. Yeah. But but like, damn it, Clark, what are you doing, man? You're putting me in a position where I have, it's enough of an argument that you're you know, sort of mirthless relation of this half funny tale, if you're wicked, to me, isn't an endorsement, but it's enough of an endorsement where I feel like I should say something, but the degree to which you would be affected by what I might proffer would be so attenuated that it would be moot anyway, but it it would be very effective at rendering our interaction completely awkward. What, What are we to do with that? This is the white martyrdom that people trying to be good Catholics that are maybe tend toward uh, a holish uh, bristliness, like maybe the three of us, but are trying to be good Catholics and genuinely do care about people. I'll, I'll yeah. always say that about either of you two guys or, or myself. Like, might be a grouch, might get into too many things on Twitter, which is why I've been staying off. But we care about people, and at the end of the day, 
I don't want to err because I'm trying to care about people and not not saying enough now. That's never been what I've been charged with, so it's really odd. In your spare time, and this is what I do, I honestly am just coming up with like a list of stock kind of snarky remarks or barbs that are going to communicate the truth of my Catholicism and give them something to think about, you know, some food for thought. Well, at the same time, saving me the headache of, like, getting out the pocket copy of my catechism from my front pocket with, like, the pocket protector on it and being like, well, paragraph 1227 says that you ought not to do... just." Uh, and one of the ones that I have, like, a stock remark prepared for, because people... Yeah, I don't know what is with the lack of compunction about asking complete strangers about, like, their sex lives and the intimate details. Well, of see, they've been doing their... that for so long. I mean, I feel like I've already got a repertoire for that. People are like, don't yeah. you know what causes that? Yeah, we're really good at it. Are those <laughs> kids all yours? No, I borrow other people's kids because it's so fun to bring them to the store. Like, I've got these things, <laughs> right. you know, that I automatically say because people have been asking me this for 17 years, you know? Yeah, it's that's what I'm going. That's where I'm going with it. Is that I get constantly, I'm just peppered, bombarded with the the question. Oh, so you guys are done now, right? It's like if I'm in a good mood, it'll be like you know, no, actually we're Catholic, so I don't know. We're just leaving up to God. <laughs> if I'm not in a good mood, I might say something where you can see I'm kind of bristling, like, oh. Why don't you tell me about the intimate details of what's in your sock drawer or something, you know, a bar? Like, it's just none. I mean, would you ask these people anything comparable to this level of intimate detail about right. anything else? Why did that become socially acceptable? I have no idea. It's odd. It's really, really odd. I can't think of a bigger faux pas. Like, oh, do you want me to tell you... Uh, any other of the secrets of my life? I, I have uh, a certain disease. Do you want me to go into the explicit details of that? Uh, Wait, I, I was just wondering, but... do either of you guys have any really private rashes? Because I mean, that's a good one. <laughs> it's like, no, see, the thing, I don't get the questions. That's all her thing. Just kidding. Yeah, you need to throw something back at them that's really uncomfortable. Hey, you know what? We've made it into, like, the first two paragraphs of the article. That's good. Yeah, yeah, seriously, that's, that's what was bound to happen. I mean, <laughs> this is the kind of day it is today. Yeah, May 15th, and here we are. Uh, that's just what this video is going to be called, and here we are. Now, I mean, so, so it, it, a lot of people are maybe correct uh, or off, to the, off on the right foot in assigning some of the cabin fever, as it were, to COVID-19. I, on the other hand, and, and you address it some of the articles, Steve. Uh, you're 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 a little a little more not not much more. I, I don't know how much more uh, skeptical about the the sweeping conspiracy theory uh, ideas as to the ideology, the origins of this thing. I say, you know, I, I'm again like I'm I'm more willing to endorse at the level of a Ted Cruz, a Donald Trump, a Tom Cotton, three non non tinfoil hat wearing guys that are like clearly the CCP has uh, covered up the ideology of this virus. Blah, sure, blah, blah. sure. But, I mean, yeah, I get what, what, what Dave, you, and myself have in common that a lot of people in um, at least Catholic Twitter don't have in common is a willingness to go, I think this, and we're all pretty bold guys and pretty argumentative guys. Maybe this is what makes us bold and argumentative. Like, well, I think it's this, but like, there's no way to know. I mean, these things are beyond our ken. So yeah. why? I, so I don't. I don't hate, or even anywhere near hate. I'm not even annoyed at the fact that 
you crunched all the data, Steve, and you're like, well, I'm sort of here. Or Dave's always more conspiracy skeptical than I am also a little more. It's like, it's not annoying. It's literally just what happens when you have kind of good committee thinking, which I'm told is a bad word. It's, I, I mean, I just think, look, I've said this a number of times in articles on podcasts recently. Um, conspiracies are very hard to carry off. Uh, the bigger they are, the longer they go on, the more complex it gets to execute a conspiracy, right? So somebody's going to get drunk and say something at a bar. Somebody's going to tell their lover or their friend. Somebody's going to, people are selfish. They're stupid. They want to take credit. And if they're in on something, they're going to spill the beans. And the more people it takes to orchestrate something, the harder it is to stop that from happening. So I think that's one component. I think that um, conspiracies are most successful when they are orchestrated by totalitarian regimes where everyone is afraid of being reported on and killed uh, for disclosing any information that they're not supposed to. One of the things that I have done that I found profitable uh, during the last couple of months is I watched that HBO miniseries Chernobyl uh, about the Chernobyl disaster in the, in the Ukraine in, in the 1980s. And it really highlights the fact that I mean, these guys were striving for incompetence out of fear of their own lives, right? They, they would do anything. They would throw anyone under the bus. They would fail to report, fail to act correctly, even if it saved lives, because they didn't want to get in trouble with the Communist Party. And it was sort of the, the underlying theme. I mean, it was, a, it was an interesting historical look uh, at the piece. I don't know how accurate it was at, at, at that piece of history. But, but more than anything, it was a... A stinging in uh, not endorsement, a, a, a stinging uh, accusation against uh, communism and what a just awful system of governance it is, and and how it bakes incompetence and, and failures like this in. And when I interviewed Stephen Mosier, um, and I don't know if your audience is familiar with him. He's an expert on China. He lived there. He's fluent in the language. He's uh, written a bunch of books about China. He has been everywhere, actually. I was lucky to get the interview. He's been on Tucker. He's been Laura Ingram. He's been all over the news. His theory on this is that China had this virus in a lab in Wuhan, and it escaped accidentally. And then the Chinese government was like, okay, what do we do? Well, we're going to lock down travel in the country to stop the damage from being any worse here, but we're going to keep international travel going, and we're going to lie about everything so that the rest of the world can suffer the same thing we are, and they won't have any advantage. That's essentially his take on how this went down. And he says, this is China's Chernobyl moment. This is, you know, for them, this could be the thing that delegitimizes the communist government in that country, just like Chernobyl precipitated, in many ways, the fall of the Soviet Union. So I think that there is a conspiracy component there. But I think that once this thing gets out and it starts spreading around the world, what you have is, like any major crisis, the jerks become jerkier and the virtuous people become more virtuous. I mean, people act according to their nature. And there are political opportunists, like you know the governor of your state uh, and, and a number of others, who have handled this like the little tyrants that they are. And then there's people like our, uh, our governor who has by the way, reminds me of like Tommy Boy governing a state. It's pretty funny watching him for press <laughs> conferences. Um, but I mean, the lockdown here has not been extremely severe. I, I haven't felt exceptionally restricted. I mean, you know, restaurants and things where people are going to be in closed spaces have been an issue, but the stores have mostly been open. 
the cops haven't been cracking down on people. We don't need papers to travel. People can go to some public places. I mean, it hasn't felt like an Orwellian state here. And so the idea that this is some internationally orchestrated overarching conspiracy to issue in the new world order, I think that there are, there are too many exceptions to that in different places. You know, people who feel that way probably live in states where that's what's going on. But it, I, I think that it's, it's almost like a subsidiarity of evil. You know, there are people who will take advantage of a crisis to advance their own political agendas. Right. Well, uh, on on that note, you know, I I I just am so loath to believe that this could have been orchestrated from the top levels of like this worldwide secret, like Doctor Evil type uh, criminal the committee. Right, yeah, something to that effect, where you have like this evil syndicate that uh, sits around twisting their their beard all day, and um, like is coming up with evil plots, and it is has des- designed this virus so that they can shut down the world economy and rejigger things again. And as you noted, you know, people aren't smart enough to pull this kind of stuff off. The bigger and more intricate a conspiracy gets, the more likely it is to fail, number one, or to leak. You know, so when people are talking to you about, like, the federal government, oh, they they planned Um, 9-11, it was an inside job, it's like, this is the same federal government that couldn't run a cash for clunkers program, or that can't get us through the post office in any kind of expeditious fashion. Uh, I just don't think they have it in them to pull off something like, you know, getting 9-11 to happen and then making it look like Osama bin Laden, getting these buildings to fall in a certain way with, like, microfusion, uh, which is what the nuts will say. And, you know, th- there's that component. Like, somebody's going to talk, somebody's going to blab, they're going to become uncomfortable with the conspiracy so they'll defect and then they'll they'll give an expose to the press something like that is bound to happen and um you know that's that's basically a fundamental let me take that let me take that point because you and steve are both saying that what one 9-11 was not an inside job the uh, but but let's take the the point you guys both keep repeating that someone is bound to talk. There have been lots of people that have talked about about uh, this, about the Dr. Evil, literally medical Dr. Evils. There are guys like Fauci who have been around for five administrations that said this is going to happen during the Trump uh, administration. He, For whatever reason, this, this bespeaks a lot. He's untouchable, right? Trump is, you're fired, the Teflon Don who just from, you know, from his old TV days, is known for saying you're fired. For whatever reason, Trump is going against him more, but he won't fire him. There is enormous evidence now that the WHO helped the CCP to obfuscate sure. uh, the origins of the coronavirus. This is so you're still we're we're kind of talking in uh, January uh, 2020, and all this evidence has come out. All of these witnesses have come out. Uh, and all of these uh, uh, doctors from the Wuhan clinic or whatever it is, the Wuhan factory, were killed, were suicided. This stuff is beyond a doubt. Now you have Trump, Ted Cruz, who's not a tinfoil hat guy, and Tom Cotton was has been all on it all over, you know, since the very beginning. But there are people that have talked. So this is where you're going to get pushback. 
our audience. But I mean, most and, of that, is, it, it, as I understand it, is all still tied back into the the Chinese Communist government created this problem. There was there were machinations within their government to spread it to the world. They wanted to see, you know, they knew that it would damage other economies that were competing with them, like like us. I mean, I one of my earliest conspiracy theories about this, when there was the possibility of it being an engineered virus, is that China has a massive demographic problem because of their elderly population. There was an article last February, 2019, about how it was basically the, the albatross around the neck of China's future was their elderly population and they couldn't support them. And this thing has, has disproportionately targeted the elderly. So... I mean, there are any number of reasons why why China might have done it. We know they lied about the numbers. U.S. intelligence says that at least 40,000 people died in Wuhan, not the 3,500 that they said. There's there's a lot of, of clear lying that's going on there. And why the WHO is in China's pocket, I don't know. Well, they fund I mean, them. They fund them. Yeah. They're, the, they're the top funder for the WHO. So, again, money talks, but... Why the why all the CDC stuff though? Why all the the nine thousand dollars and the thirty five thousand uh, dollars, the the two strata of their doctors are being incentivized per Doctor Erickson and Doctor uh, Masihi guys I know personally and trust. But I thought the to, Erickson video was definitively debunked. I've, I've no, seen, I mean no, not at all. No, that was like a PizzaGate debunk. All they said was that his numbers were, he had 6,000 representative cases. The 6,000 cases here in Kern County are perfectly, perfectly aligned. It was the opposite of debunk. They're perfectly aligned with all the numbers around the world, meaning they're perfectly microcosmic. They have good representativeness in terms of the numbers. I mean, the numbers are not actually even being lied about, aside from what they said, that they're, they're being incentivized. No one debunked. Nine thousand dollars to put uh, to put a C, uh, COVID nineteen death on um, any lung related death. All doctors are saying yes, that's true. Whether or not there's ever ever any evidence of COVID nineteen, put it near there. And thirty five thousand dollars from whatever it is, Medicaid, so Medicare. Then we're to, to believe on, that to put them on. Uh, well, I mean, just go with the evidence first. Don't don't jump to the conclusion that all doctors, all American doctors, are saying heavy pressure. The nine thousand and thirty-five thousand dollar thing—that's the opposite of debunked. So yes, that has that starts suggesting you in a certain area. But well, let's let's look at the real numbers, right? So if you're under forty years old and you contract COVID nineteen, you're uh, and you have no pre-existing conditions, you have a one in fifty thousand chance of dying from it, which is n nothing. It's less than a regular flu. If you're under fifty and you have no pre-existing conditions. Your chances are 1 in 20,000 of dying from it. It only starts, like Steve said, it's all staggered towards the elderly. That means something, that we're getting, that this is less bad for all the people that are typically out and about anyway, other than the self people who should be self-quarantined, old people, who shouldn't even really be driving a car if you're 80, you know, if you're the average old person, um, because it's dangerous. They should self-quarantine, and all the people at, let's say, the CSUs, all 24 CSU campuses, which earlier this week, self-quarantined. They're already closed for fall, or back on Zoom, which is also a Chinese company, which is hilarious. Um, they're already back on that. Why would you make the call three months early? That I mean, because this stuff does look like this is strong evidence of a kind of 
collusion. It's all circumstantial evidence, and these things can all be explained by other things and are. I mean, are we to believe because a doctor gets or a hospital gets money based on the number of COVID deaths that they have, that they're being um, paid like by Dr. Evil in order to exaggerate the effects of this disease. Well, I mean, everything so that... Which, by the way, is massive fraud. I mean, right. the doctors can lose their licenses over doing right. if they're discovered. So we're to believe that they're getting paid by some, like, underground criminal organization uh, to falsify death certificates? I don't think so. What's much more likely is that there has been a grant given to hospitals that are dealing with numbers of these cases, these COVID cases, from federal emergency funds, and that the hospital directors are vying for this money and are therefore telling doctors, okay, we could use some more money for the hospital, we could get some more equipment and all that good stuff, so I want you, if anything looks remotely like it smacks of a COVID death, to to err on the side of a COVID death because we have a financial interest. That's not some nefarious cabal of uh, demonic uh, criminal syndicates getting together to make up this disease. It's just Congress has allocated this money and hospitals want it. There's a very simple explanation. Medicaid money. China could have, um, you know, there's a million reasons why they would cover up COVID. They don't want to look guilty on the world stage and lose standing. It doesn't have to be that, you know, they're they're trying to infect other countries so they can bring about worldwide Chinese communism or get a competitive advantage with their economy compared to others. Now, I tend to believe that they might be looking for a competitive advantage for their economy uh, with regard to other co- competitors in the world. But that's neither here nor there. There's a million reasons why they could cover this up. They just don't want to look incompetent, which they truly are. You know, they're always... It, one of the things with these uh, dictatorships is they're always trying to look competent and scientific in the eyes of the world because they think it raises the standing of their regime. And uh, that, that they don't want to look like they're idiots who can't manage, you know, a, a virology lab. So all of these have other explanations. I just... People... In conspiracy theories, it's always, oh, this fact and this fact and this fact plus this fact obviously leads to this conclusion. It's like, no, that yeah, conclusion yeah, is one of the many not, that could be reached by a reasonable mind. They're not sampling the data. I mean, so, you know, this I pulled this up while you were talking, Dave. In a rare statement late today, the American College of Emergency Physicians and the American Academy of Emergency Medicine declared that they, quote, emphatically condemn the recent opinions released by Dr. Daniel Erickson and Dr. Artin Masihi, these reckless and untested musings do not speak for medical societies and are inconsistent with current science and epidemiology regarding COVID-19. As owners of local urgent care clinics, it appears these two individuals are releasing biased, non-peer-reviewed data to advance their personal financial interests without regard for the public's health. So there's Wait. some serious debate over the stuff that they are putting out there. It is not always the data, guys. It's not their not- data. It's conclusion. always their guy that's not the one who's incentivized well, I by think the finance data, or something. I mean, it says what in this... Masidi, what Misihi said, right up, they did a follow video. They haven't been condemned once on their data. They haven't been condemned once on... And Dave, what you said, a lot of what you said uh, a second ago is just factually wrong. They're not getting the, the $9,035,000 for the, the um, being put on, on lung support. Uh... These come from Medicare, Medicaid, and 
None of these sweeping claims that they made that comprise their data, the numbers, the statistics, the virology, and the symptomology, the numbers that uh, support all that is what any of the admin, uh, collegial admins are condemning. All they're condemning. I mean, that's not what this article says. All they're condemning is their conclusion that we should open back up. That's all they mean. The article explicitly says that. That, med- uh, that public health es- experts were quick to debunk the doctor's findings as misguided and riddled with statistical errors. And an example of the kind of misleading information, they're forced to waste precious time disputing. The doctor should never have assumed that the patients they tested who came for walk-in COVID tests or who sought urgent care for symptoms they experienced in the middle of a pandemic are representative of the general population. That was the, the one Carl- data... That was the one data challenge they got, Steve. And the explanation is they tested 6,000 people from Kern County that were walking into urgent care. They said it was non-representative, but they rebutted that. That was the one database thing. The rest was a conclusion that was being challenged. Just go back to work and school, which it seems patently Here's correct. the thing, though. It, this wait, is what... Okay, it was, sorry. It was just... It was representative because it matched all the other figures throughout the world. They... People were just saying, well, they're, they're, op- they're operating on non-representative data because they are emergency room doctors. They're really uh, urgent care doctors. And they were testing everyone that walked in, which they did. They were the, one of the largest testing sites in the country, which they did as a community service. And they're like, but you were testing people that were non-symptomatic. Guess what? So, were, uh, so was the children's hospital I was at in Orange County for Abby's surgery. And guess what? They came up with the exact same numbers. The claim is just that the data was, representative, was misrepresentative because they were, as- they were testing asymptomatic. No, they also t- they're also disputing their methods. None of this is peer-reviewed, and it's taken from a select locality. Obviously, you have, you have to have um, a sampling size in an experiment. Um, you have to have a sample that's going to re- reflect uh, whatever, a national or international sample. But beyond that, it's funny. This is just how conspiracy the theories work, is that it's confirmation bias. There's always uh, yeah. accusations of, oh, well, now you get hospitals and they are being tempted by money. And they're trying to falsify documents. All these doctors in the world, the mainstream doctors, are falsifying documents because they want money. And they're being financed by these greedy criminal financiers who are really Freemasons and uh, are intent on world domination. But the guys who come along and break the mold and have the out of the mainstream opinion that are, you know, allegedly kind of. I guess exposing this conspiracy, they're they're always the ones that don't have a financial incentive. It's like the guy who wrote (laughs) the book that you know he's trying to sell about this sensationalist claim about a worldwide conspiracy to release a disease and to destroy every economy of every major nation and create worldwide hunger and starvation and all that stuff. He's not the guy who's got a financial motive for his claims. It's Everybody else. So it's always like my guy. You just got to read my guy's book. He's saintly and he's just completely altruistic, uh, trying to bring down this worldwide conspiracy. But the rest of the world, they're the ones that are treacherous and in it up to their eyeballs. Hey, have way, you just noticed that? Dave, yes. But thank you. I want to thank you separately for allowing me to put a chip on Freemasonry on my Trad Bingo card because I didn't think we were going to. 
you know, get to that this episode, but it needed to be checked off. <clears throat> saying saying the F word once, Freemason. <laughs> well, I mean, and it's something I mentioned in my article too, by the way, is that Freemasonry has become this rhetorical boogeyman to the point where like trads see it everywhere. And, you know, we've been warned about conspiracies by popes and prophecies. The Freemasons were a real thing and they really conspire against the church. But, you know, they're they're not their unseen hand isn't behind everything that happens in the world that, you know, goes awry. And you know, if you've ever known Freemasons, uh, I'm not saying that there aren't guys who were nefarious and, and Dr. Evil-esque in the Freemasons, but, I mean, the last guy I met who was a Freemason just had a killer comic book figure collection in his house. Like, that's, these are just normal dudes who want to be part of a thing, and they have no idea what it's really about. And I think that's what the majority of them are. But that's I accidentally went duck hunting with a Freemason. I saw his Freemason license plate when I got to the lake. He actually took me on his boat uh, to do, like, river hunting in the Ohio River. And I was like, damn it, am I going to hell for this? I had no idea. I, I can't associate with you, sir. So what I did want to say, though, uh, a minute ago is... What I've noticed, having researched this as much as I've had for the last couple months, because I've done a few shows on it and a couple articles, the biggest problem that we're seeing, I think, and I'm not a scientist or a mathematician or a statistician, but we are looking at so many disparate data sets and trying to come to conclusions about stuff. You know, one of the things that goes on with testing that's a problem, and I noticed this early on, is that... 19% last time I checked, it's been a couple of weeks since I've looked at it. There's this thing called the COVID tracking project, but it, it was consistent week after week that only about 19% of the people being tested for COVID uh, actually had it. And these were people with symptoms who were coming in, who were taking the time to get tested and they didn't have it. And it seemed really weird because you would think that more of those people would have it. And then there was a story out of Boston where there was a homeless shelter where they had a small cluster of outbreaks in the homeless shelter. So they did universal testing there, which hasn't been done most places. And out of 390-some people in the facility, almost half of them, I think it was about 150, tested positive. And 100% of the people who tested positive had zero symptoms. And so, you know, you have... You have the the one hundred percent of of the population out there, and then you have the self selecting percentage of the population that's coming in to get tested. How many people out there have it and don't even know? How many? You know, all of this affects things like the death rate. All of it. Th there's so many unknown pieces to this puzzle because we don't have the data that we need, and so you know that's why you have something like you don't have a mortality rate for the virus. You have a case fatality rate because of the known cases such and such a percentage of people died. But they have to find out how many people even have it. And there's been what? I don't know, 11 million tests administered? I forget where it is now because I can't stand to look at the information every day. Um, but you know, it, it's just, there's, we're not going to know about this for years. And, and one of the examples from recent memory is the H1N1 outbreak in 2009 to 2010. When that outbreak happened, people were really worried about it. And then I think it was either the CDC or the WHO came back at the end of the year and they said 18,000 people around the world have died from H1N1, which is less than they thought. But then they spent the next few years going and auditing case records and looking at all the respiratory deaths, seeing things that were coded as influenza but actually had 
uh, the pathology of H1N1 and blah, blah, blah. And they came back after like a, f a few years and they upped the number to between two and 500,000 people had died from it. So epidemiology is a messy science when it comes to the data recording. And, you know, we, when we look at flu numbers, we're looking in hindsight, we're looking at stuff. They already recorded the deaths that was in the past. They also used mathematical models, which I didn't know, to extrapolate in order to figure out the percentage of people who died in the population who didn't even have tests done. Um, because, like, the 2018 flu season was the worst in recent memory. 80,000 people in the United States died in 2018 from the flu. And that right. number's been floated a lot. But, like, what we're getting right now is real-time numbers of people we know have been tested. There are thousands of people coming into hospitals around this country who aren't getting tests because the tests aren't available. So the data that we're trying to look at to draw conclusions is wildly inconclusive. Wait, but really you know hard. what, that, that only drives the number one direction, Steve. It drives them in my direction. There's, it's not, it doesn't drive them uh, simultaneously up and down. It drives the death rate down dramatically. It drives the death rate down if the general number down. of infections in the population are higher. But when you start adding in all the deaths that weren't counted as COVID because they couldn't be because they couldn't test them, then that number changes again. But that's why that that's why the the, the evidence of so many doctors who are now speaking out—it's not just Masihi and Erickson—are all saying this is all fifty states uh, were receiving this pressure to write COVID on anything that's a lung death. They're already spiking the death rate. It's a super low death rate. Right. I mean, so it's it's lower for most people besides 70 year olds and up. It's a lower death rate than a common flu. No, and that number that, being that's wrong, that number right there, it might be 60 and under, but it's it's a lower death rate. It's a much lower death rate for 40 and under 50 and under. I, f I forget whether it, oh, you're just talking about within a specific demographic. Yeah. With like a yeah. normal, the, the normal, the people being quarantined, right? Productive members of society are younger than 60 it's a much lower death rate for those. The, the people that are essentially shut-ins anyway, the retired or the mostly retired or the semi-retired, they're, they're the ones that should be self-quarantining. We have an unprecedented, I just don't think, you, you guys are, are keep saying Dr. Evil and stuff. We have an unprecedented globalist push to keep people at home. There's got to be something. You have to deal with the fact that the numbers, the death rate is already being pushed as high as it can conceptually go using the math that they're using and using the techniques that they're using, right? Any lung death, right? COVID. So that's already spiking the number and it's still low. What you just said, Steve, that fact, which I, I, I'm 100% on board for, that will drive the numerator higher and, uh, sorry, the numerator lower and the denominator higher. It will make an even lower death rate number when they look back on this honestly. And still, the remaining questions, okay, here are the remaining questions anyone should be asking. And I'm not saying they're, they're super knowable, but they're, they're intelligible. Why are schools being closed? 15 to 24-year-olds, right? When uh, parts per million, it's 0.9 15 to 24-year-olds who are attending school die from COVID. 0.9, less than one person per million. But how many of them are carriers? That's... that's it doesn't, because my understanding is that they, they can be carrying it and shedding the virus, but schools are vectors of infection. We all know this. We have kids that go to school, they come home, they get everybody sick. Whether or not the kids typically are live with the elderly, and they and this is forget typically this has that standard has never once been implemented in the history of the world. 
how many of well, them are no i mean you apply that to the common flu it's never been applied like you don't ever over. say how many of them you have to answer that question why are schools being closed when this is for anyone under 50 this is way less effective way more asymptomatic lots of people are having it that are totally asymptomatic but that's why the nba players but that's the reason because, because it's asymptomatic for two weeks and you're True. wildly contagious, but you have no idea who you're spreading it to. But that is, honestly, I think that's because of this, uh, you because there's this question. Therefore, worldwide conspiracy. There's right. a bunch of much well, I, more I said anodyne that. answers to that question. Like, no, I, I don't. Oh, know. politicians are reactionary, and they don't want the the media to take cheap political shots at them and be like, "Look, if this governor or this locality had shut down, they would have saved eighty thousand lives." And because politicians want to hold on to their squishy, uh, cush jobs. They're going to take all the steps to look like they're doing something. The optics of it, we're closing this down, we're closing this down, we're going to completely hamstring the economy. It's good. Well, no, and but why is that's number one. That's just one explanation I can come up with off the top of my head. There's probably 100,000 I mean, other who ones. Who cares? We Secondly, want answers. professors are old. You say college students, they're not going to get sick. Well, professors are pretty damned old. And in my experience, my professors have mainly been senior citizens. And so, therefore, they don't want to die. And they are in the group that has a much higher death rate than is around for the flu. So, that could be a reason, plus the chance of just infecting people when they do go home to visit their parents or their grandma and grandpa, and if they're asymptomatic, they're going to infect people and kill them. So this might not be the best policy. I'm not arguing for it from a policy perspective. Right. I wouldn't do it. I think colleges should be open. But there's certainly an argument if you are a reactionary politician and you want to have zero deaths um, attributed to you. I think fear is the motivator. I mean, you want to know why is this happening? Because people are afraid. Why would every country in the world screw their economy to deal with it? What are they getting on the back end? I, I don't know what they're getting that's, that's going to make question. it worse. There, but, I mean, there are people... people well, what is like the alleged end economy? game? The alleged end game is crippling the economy, forcing all economy online in the world. I, I mean, there are real reasons why. There's the motive and the opportunity for it to be a, a, a massive conspiracy, unlike any other conspiracy theory I've ever heard. All the, all the theories you're tossing out about, um, I mean, most of my professors are probably in the 50, average age of the 50s. They're not the ones that make the decision anyway. But the question is... It's the novel coronavirus. Everything about it is novel. That was the first name for it. This is the novel right. coronavirus. Why is it so novel when the, the death rates are so high for the people that are working? And, and no one lives with their grandparents. It's America. This isn't, uh, you know, Asia where, where three generations typically no, live. No, but most of us home. wind up interacting with them. I mean, my father-in-law well, lives with us. He's 87, almost 88. You know, like people, you know, there's this woman in Belgium I, I read about who had stayed completely shut in. Never went anywhere, followed all the procedures, and she died of this thing anyway. And her story was notorious because she had said, don't give me a ventilator. I've lived a long life. Give it to somebody who needs it more than me. Yeah. But when you got into the details of the story, it was her, her family couldn't understand how she got it. She never left the house. And it's because people are bringing food and bringing medicine, and there's caretakers coming into these people's homes, and they don't know that they have it. 
because they don't feel anything. Like they don't. It, well, that's sure. what makes this so dangerous. But I mean, it, it's. But here, here, I'm going to say something that's going to be wildly unpopular. To say that an 87 year old is ex- 87 year olds are extra susceptible to everything. Right. Sure. We want the best for them, but it's not. A, a disease is not dangerous for targeting the elderly. Everything targets the elderly. Uh, pneumonia targets the elderly. This disease is only novel insofar as it has a you know a, a lab pre a, a lab predisposed uh, contagious incubation period. That's that's the only way this thing is novel. Like like you said five minutes ago. Steve. I mean, it's novel it's in the sense that we've never seen it though, because it's. It's not extra dangerous in the sense that, like, most young people that get it are asymptomatic. Look at all the NBA players that had it and said, I didn't even, I didn't even feel anything. But all the Utah Jazz and the teams that played the Jazz, the Thunder, were one of the teams. They all got tests. They all got tests, and they're like, tons of guys are coming up positive. It's an extra non-dangerous virus. The fact that it's targeting the elderly is a, a fact that stems from its, uh, its contagious non-symptomatic incubation but there are, That's there are several distinguishing factors i mean so you know for example flu has an ro you know how many people you're going to infect if you have it has an ro number of 1.3 COVID is 2 to 2.5 so it's almost twice the number of people you're going to infect if you have it incubation time for the flu is one to four days incubation time for COVID is one to 14 days so you know right. during that incubation period you're still viral shedding like it, you're still carrying it everywhere you go Hospitalization rate for the flu, 2%. Hospitalization rate for COVID, 19%. Case fatality rate for for flu, 0.1%. Case fatality rate right now for COVID, as far as anybody can tell, is somewhere between 1% and 3.4%. In other words, 10 to 30 times more than the flu. For the elderly and with the spiked no, numbers. So with the percentage of the number of people infected. Flu versus COVID, it's 10 to 30 times more fatal for well, those I mean, who get infected with it. That's just a total number. What you have to do is look at the CDC's number. on they print It's CDC numbers. They print it. And the odds are literally 1 in 500 people that have gotten this thing around the world, 1 in 500 uh, who are under 40 die from it. And they say 99 of those 100 had pre-existing conditions. So that, that means one in 50,000 in the group. But what are the pre-existing conditions? Are they obesity and high blood pressure and things that millions of people have? And are because they in, not, is that, has that been isolated from when we talk about the flu mortality rate? Because the numbers I've all seen, or even under the, the, uh, the 50s and under, are still 10 times more likely to die of uh, coronavirus than they are of the flu. So when they talk about a flu fatality rate, they're also factoring in, you know, that's not taking account of pre-existing conditions. So you're comparing, you know, something, it doesn't fit across the board. You're saying that uh, it's 1 in 50,000 or something like that to die of coronavirus if you are under 40 and have no pre-existing condition. But then you're comparing that number, uh, the no pre-existing condition to the flu number and but that's not baked into it's that comparable. number. So it's, it's 10 times higher for to die. Your, your chance of dying of coronavirus is 10 times higher than the flu. Uh, all things eat. I'm sorry. Yeah, your chances of dying of coronavirus are 10 times higher than 
your chances of dying from the flu, all things equal, if you're that's, under. That's not that's not true. That's I don't not know what they. 2018 See, this, flu. 2018. Hold on, I got to get okay. this out. That's just not true. What, what are the numbers on 2018 flu? 2018 it's, flu. Okay, well that depends. Under because 40 non pre-existing conditions. You're saying that it's one in five hundred thousand for for uh, of dying of the flu if you're uh, under forty and no pre-existing condition. That's what you just said. Ten times higher. That's I'm not, not sure of the number. Your odds, if you get uh, uh, the 2018 flu, the bad case of the 2018 flu was not one, two, two in a million. More than two well, in a million. The number of infections for that flu it, were in the tens of millions. I don't know how many they were. If I, the, again, this is a problem of, of us trying to look at data and digest it. What, what I remember seeing is at least 60 million infect, infections for that flu, whereas right now in the United States, as of this moment, according to John Hopkins, you know, we've got 1.4 million confirmed cases in the U.S. with 80,000 deaths. There were like 60 million cases of the flu that year and 80,000 deaths. So, yes, it's an exponentially higher number of infections, so your case fatality rate goes down. But, again, we don't know how many people are infected with this until we have universal testing or antibody testing or Well, whatever. the case that fatality rate doesn't go down. It only goes down if it's what I'm saying it is, which is... A more infectious disease that's really no more catastrophic. I agree. Except for, it's just much more infectious. What I'm, but what, what Dave's saying is it's more catastrophic in effect. Like, I don't care. I think I had it in December. You know, California has herd immunity, they say, to this thing because there are people coming in in November. I think I had it over uh, December. Dave, you're saying you thought you had it too. I, I mean, who knows? The symptoms I had might have been worse than coronavirus. Which is why you guys symptoms. need antibody tests. I mean, th this is what people need to know. They need to know how many people have already had it. They need to know, do you develop immunity to it? Or sure. will it come back? I'm just separating. Attack? I'm just, I, I agree with you. Uh, but I think all of this, I mean, antibody. our argument here is illustrative, despite the fact that we're not doctors, not epidemiologists, whatever. It is illustrative of the fact that three intelligent people sitting down looking at numbers that we've all seen and spent time with have no freaking idea what the scope of this thing is. And I think it drives fear. The uncertainty drives fear. And the fear has caused public reactions that may turn out, in hindsight, to have been overreaching. They may very well have. You think but it's a may? Will... You just think that's a may, that, it's, that this is an overreaction uh, as a policy matter? I think that they needed to do something temporary. I think it's probably gone on too long. I mean, you know, you kill an economy, you're going to starve people to death. You got to right. see the other side of that. But There's in 1918, no during mind. the Spanish flu, they quarantined and shut down cities. Philly didn't shut down. Philly had a victory war bond parade in 1918 that right. was for World War One, and they weren't going to shut it down for anything. And everybody got encouraged to go to that. St. Louis shut down everything: schools, public gatherings, billiard ha halls, theaters, everything. St. Louis had half the mortality rate that Philadelphia had in the next couple of months. Right, and so we didn't they know shut down. first. We did not know the how virulent this virus was going to be. So it was smart to take the 15 days. You know, at first, remember, they quoted that, oh, take 15 days and shut things down, and we're going to yeah. flatten the curve. And now it's been extended where we're talking about 18 months. So that's stupid. It, it, to, take the, to take some time to get your, your finger and put it on the pulse of this thing and really get an idea of just how serious this virus is to give hospitals a chance to get the equipment that they need, right. get the extra ventilators. 
That was smart. I think we probably are all in agreement. I don't want to speak for Steve. I know me and Tim are in agreement um, on this. But it's gone on far too long now. Like The curve has been flattened. We understand. You've, you've got to do something right. now. Like you, you know, the hospitals haven't hit capacity. You know, you, uh, granted, there's still not an approved effective course of treatment for this thing. Va- vaccine aside, there's well, still there's a lot approved, of medical debate uh, over not, the treatments that are being used. But there's not approved course of treatment for any virus, right? There's no, but again, don't have yeah, virus antibodies. Not for the flu, though. I mean, for for malaria, you can treat cold. it. For AIDS, you can treat it. Cold and flu, you can't. It's no. It's HIV is the virus treatability. You can't use antibiotics for a virus. So sure. well, antibiotics. But you remember, can use Bill Gates viral medicines. We caught him with the book How to Lie with Numbers. I mean, that, that's not a fake. That's not a doctored picture. Uh, there are antiviral medicines, and there are ways to treat viruses. We can basically eradicate HIV. We can basically uh, save people, even with a, Ebola, something as bad as Ebola. There is now effective treatments on the books. We can help save people from malaria. So while there's not antibiotics for viruses, there are antivirals. It's leading to say that we need a, a, a vaccine for this before we can go back, or that we need an antibiotic for a virus where there can't be an antibiotic. That's the point. I, no, I don't think that that's the case. I just think that it would be nice if there was a sense that the medical community had any idea what they're dealing with yet, because they still don't. We but don't they, know. Once okay, everybody just, goes back out into public, if we're going to have another wave of this thing, in the fall, like Spanish flu. I mean, people have to be numbers guys. And the reason that, um, no, I don't, I don't agree. I would never say that it was good. The whole country shut down, which it was in that two week shutdown that all my friends who own private businesses were bankrupted for that shutdown. There were already over a hundred thousand cases with all of these numbers being really consistent. Uh, especially if you cut by demographics and the demographics being age related, the numbers in Italy are perfectly consistent, even though they're high. It's just they have more old people. So, no, I would never say that it was anything short of really fishy and completely morally unacceptable in terms of disease to cure uh, proportionalism that we shut down the entire country for a flu. It's a cold flu thing. And well, we didn't know how serious it was. If it had turned out to have a fatality rate like similar to Ebola, of course we'd want it. And in Italy, it did. I mean, that's the thing. Like, Italy, it sucks that Italy was the first country to really get hit outside of China because they got hammered in a way that almost no other country has since. But only their old people, not their young people. Their young people's rate of deaths, or middle-aged people, were the exact same or near the exact same. There's not... There's no... That's See, that's why... The CDC, the popular media, another question you have to ask, why are they not dividing this into the sharp demographic reality in their reportage, which matters? Italy just had weight. It has the most old people in the world. It's the oldest country in the world. Um, and no, when we had the shutdown, what was it, Feb 15 to Feb to March 3rd, we only had tons of numbers. The numbers, I, I looked up these numbers and there are over 100,000 cases in early February. That's great numbers. So you, I was, I felt better the night I looked it up. Uh, Dave, you actually walked in the den and you said, "Man, I, I'm worried about this thing." You look at the numbers and you're just like, "Well, young people in non-pre-existing conditions are safe, and there were zero children's deaths age zero to ten around the world. That's absolutely novel and looks cooked up. At that point, there are only a few now." 
so I have small kids, and and yeah, people would should probably have quarantined their their elderly. I, I I do agree with that, but there's absolutely nothing in the policy that I think uh, is supported by the numbers aside from quarantining the elderly. I I just how 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 do we why should schools be shut down, and an elderly can be given a, a a pay leave or whatever? Why should the entire economy, which we haven't talked about any here, the economy's wrecked? Well, the the United States economy will never recover from this. This is the wor- going to be the worst depression in the history of the world, no doubt. Um, this is going to be worse than the Great Depression. We are in a quantitative easement based. Uh, pre-depression right now. We are the Weimar Republic. So people Is don't any know. country in the world not in that situation? I don't know. Whoever should... Uh, yeah, nor- whatever it is. Norway or Sweden. No, Sweden, who- Sweden, they say they're facing a worse economic crisis than 2008, and they didn't shut down. What, so Japan Norway, didn't shut down. Norway's the country that didn't shut down. No, Sweden. It was Sweden. They And they had like two to four times higher uh, death rate than the rest of Scandinavia, and they still had uh, an economic crisis. Why? Because we have a global economy. Japan had to issue a $1 trillion stimulus package to their own people, even though 80% of people kept going to work and they didn't shut down. But we live in a world... packages don't work. I mean, forget the multivariate nature of it. Uh, multivariate nature of which countries did and which countries didn't. I mean, we're, we're, it's a worldwide depression. That's been and that's the thing, time. is what happens when we're all in the same soup together? I'm not an economist either, I don't know, but like if we're all in the same economic crisis at the same time, how does that affect everybody? Like, well, yeah, I mean, it's a worldwide economy. There's globalization, and you can't just... I was talking about this last night um, on on a podcast. It's, it's very similar to the food chain in... Um, in biology, actually, the, the worldwide economy now. You can't just take a sector out of the economy and, like, kill it off, even if it's just one isolated sector. It's the same with the food chain. You can't take one species of, like, grass and kill it off because the grass feeds the bunnies who feed uh, this, who feed this, who feed, you know, which ends up affecting the top predator at the food chain so an attack on grass is really an attack on lions and an attack on worldwide oil is an attack on this industry and this industry and this industry and that's what we're seeing now so it is it's been devastating to the world economy because we've taken a chunk out of some very important industries and that's had uh, a trickle down or trickle up effect on the world economy tim what do you think what do you think about the people who say you know what as far as we know, the case fatality rate on this thing is significantly higher than the flu. If we hadn't done these shutdowns, the numbers would have been higher. Trump said it. He said we could have had 2 million people you know, in this country who died instead of 100,000, which is what the number we're going to hit this month. Yeah. Um, I, would that have had an economic impact that would have been comparable or, or not? I don't know. No, the economic impact wouldn't have been comparable. I think everyone should have stayed working through this. I think uh, the... Again, the numbers, the people that say those things are maybe lying with numbers to borrow Bill Gates' book. It's literally, you have to parse by age. The I, I'm saying right off, maybe you should have done a hard quarantine, non-forced by the government, non-enforced by the government for your elderly. I'm just say, mom and dad, if you're 80, you got to just stay here and you got to order food and you got to make sure that they leave it on your doorstep. And you don't even touch the bag. Whatever. Do take care of the elderly however you want. Subsidiarity, 
take the most uh, draconian measures, and then they would have been fine, right? But for the people where it's been proven with numbers that are recurring, we don't know exactly what's going on. I agreed with that line in your thing. But what we do know is the death rate for ordinary and ordinary aged healthy people is always the same. It's, it's you know, it's you have to be a hypochondriac to worry about it, even if you come down with a thing. One in 50,000, one in 20,000 if you're 50, you know, and, and, and healthy. Um, so, yeah, just we should have stayed in work. This is what I say. We should have stayed. Everyone keep going to your jobs and maybe make, a, if we're going to have a mini stimulus thing, which I don't like, uh, but except if you're going to do mini stimulus, help out maybe at the state level, the people that are 65 and older, you know, where you, you should hopefully be retired by the time you're 65, but the people that are getting into that danger age, allow them to be getting unemploy unemployment because this is the novel coronavirus. What about that? And then everyone who's young and will be unaffected by this, aside from maybe a bad cold for a week, stay at work and take a, a week off if you get it. What's wrong with that? Hard quarantine the elderly. Why was that not the obvious? It's the obvious solution. Yeah, I proposed it many times on air now. And he, he said, does it make sense to shut down? Yeah, for two weeks till we got our finger on the pulse because we couldn't see the, the data coming out of China, by the way. That's, that's so the to, to get like the actual CDC and competent American scientists measuring this thing and getting right. it, getting to understand how it's going to interact with our people, with our nation who have different resistances and, um, and you know, antibodies and immunities to, to different diseases. It just makes sense. Take a couple weeks because you don't want to risk. You have to think about implied odds. You have to think about implied risk, risk when measuring a disease. You have to look at what are the chances that this thing could affect our population in a really devastating way. And then you have to factor that chance in to your calculation of damage when you're doing a um, when you're weighing risk versus reward in setting a policy. That's number one. But yeah, I've always said it does not make sense to shut down, to hamstring the entire economy of a nation so that you can uh, protect elderly because that's using a hammer where you could be using a scalpel. We should always have the elderly self-quarantining. You don't want to add three years to the life of an octogenarian in order to save... Uh, in order, yeah, you don't want to add three years to the life of an octogenarian at the expense of an entire industrialized economy. Wait, you agree or disagree many, many with deaths. the shutdown for two weeks? Because you're going both ways. I'm two fine weeks, yes. We no, 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 no. I'm not going both ways. I'm saying two he weeks. Said, I've always good. said you get your finger on the pulse of this disease, on of this epidemic. But then after that, open things back up. This, so you wanted this latter a shutdown, shutdown has been draconian. Yes, for the eighth time. Yes, this latter shutdown has been stupid. The two weeks so we could figure out how it was going to affect our Federally people. And, and, yes, so we could have ventilators in place in the hospitals to save lives, so we could have equipment ready to go to flatten the curve for two weeks and to get some actual data so we could know just how devastating or not devastating this thing is going to be. Um, yes, two weeks made sense. Three months? No. 18 months? No. Right, Steve. Do you did you do you support the original two week total federal yeah. shutdown? Yeah, I do.
I do, and, and I think that you know this is there's historical precedent for it. It worked during the Spanish flu. The, when they when they eased up those quarantine measures, the infections got way worse, and they had new waves of it. I mean, again, you're making decisions that you don't have enough data to make, but you know that if you make the wrong one, it's going to have catastrophic consequences one way or the other. It, they did the they did what they needed to do, but everybody's afraid, and it's gone on too long. And you guys, I mean, in California, we're already reopening here in Arizona. You guys just got the order that it's like through the summer, right? I mean. Yeah, they're going to try. I think. I mean, I think the 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 governors around the world, uh, around the country, in the liberal states, Illinois, New York, California. I think they're going to try to drive it the eighteen months. They're going to get as close to the eighteen months described at event two hundred one in October October eighteenth of last year as they can. The, the Gates Fauci number was shut everything down. This is before one case of coronavirus. This is a real thing. You can go check it. Shut it all down for 18 months when this thing happens in 2020. I think they're going to at least push it through all of 2020 and the election as far as they can. We happen to live in Kern County, which, I mean, I go out every day. I go to two restaurants every day. I go to Jamba Juice, and we, we take this five-mile walk I was telling you about. So luckily, we have a sheriff that basically just nullifies but um, you know, we, we hang out, we do what we want, we get together with friends, but it sucks. You can't meet someone at a restaurant and sit down, can't use the bathrooms at Jamba Juice. I mean, and yeah, I think, I think they're going to stick to the plan um, that was described on October 18th. I think they're going to try to go eight, they're going to try to go 12 to 18. What, what do you think the end game is there, though? And, and Dave and I have talked a lot about anti-conspiracy theory, but I mean, what do you think is behind all of this? What, what, is, what are they trying to do? I think I think it's it's about Trump. You know, Trump is the one real starch block against total globalism, and and now you know after it was really sometime in in mid April that the the narrative changes. When the narrative changes in the mainstream media, they don't amend or redact. They just go dark. That's when the numbers dropped off, and they're super disappointed that people just weren't dying of it at the rates that they were originally projecting, and also. The story about uh, this came from a wet, a wet uh, market, live wet market in yeah. in Wuhan, just was ridiculous. Michael Knowles did a great tweet. Like the best conspiracy theory I've heard about COVID nineteen is that this thing came from a, a wet uh, live market in in Wuhan. They just they go dark on it. So um, I don't think it's a, a conspiracy so much as just you know. They need. There's the motive and the opportunity to do it, and it doesn't require anything crazy. Nothing crazier than the whole world being shut down. So wait, it was an attempt at, at, at the presidency. I don't think that's going to work. Um, Trump is now uh, rebutting Fauci every day of the week uh, without firing him, which I think is really strange because he fires everyone. Um, but yeah, and I think the, the big game is to drive the world economy to a globalist economy. Like you guys said, we've never really had a, a total global depression uh, before. And it's, it's oriented at the first world economies, driving them all online. So more business is done online. Maybe a global kind of uh, e-currency, right, is what, what they've expressed a long time. And then, of course, Gates is really the guy behind it more than anything. He knows more about what's going on than, than anyone other than heads of state. And remember, he says that the world population should be about three-fifths of what it is. So it's a, a little strange that he's running the uh, the bark 
And Bill Gates colluded with China to create and release a virus to kill two fifths of the world population and to sell Windows 2020. <laughs> I'm glad you got that in at the end. And you're going to have to use Internet Explorer. Right. <laughs> I mean, when you have, why would you, okay, you tell me then, tough guy, why would you have someone that says, and has said it for 20 years, they want two-fifths of the world population gone, why would you have them running the rescue effort, the vaccination effort? I don't know, because he also, on, you know, all these rich guys, they all, it's really in vogue to be like, well, by day, I'm a computer programmer slash a uh, business owner, but at night I like to dabble in virology. That's what they like to do. They, you know, all these, all these. Uh, He's never said that. Magnates <laughs> and and bigwigs. They also have their charitable cause, and they get tax breaks, and it helps build goodwill. And people are like, "Oh, Microsoft isn't that evil because he wants to save babies from viruses and get everybody vaccinated." It's also, one of so the ways it, that they deflect from being like insanely rich. Is they do this, you know? Oh, I'm a I'm a major philanthropist, and I do all these sure. things. But he you know to give back instinctively. Planning session. Well, I mean, eventually yeah. one. How was, many pandemic virology on the side? Because that was how he decided to give back. It's an it's an instinct. It's a human instinct to when you have aggregated this much wealth to want to give it back because you know, like I'm one dude, and there's absolutely no justification. For me having $10 billion while people are starving in India. I mean, so you there's think some it's funny that Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, together with Johns Hopkins, ran this tabletop exercise on October 18th. Non-tinfoil hat stuff. And they and we've been following, play-by-play, play, Gates and Fauci are thick as thieves, right? And we've been following their playbook for an imagined, precautionary, abstracted uh, corona-type virus that that took that started showing uh, having victims within three weeks of the tabletop exercise, and we've been following the plays that they that they came up with the playbook, almost play by play. Even though it's not following the same uh, morphology as what they used at the tabletop exercise, that has to be accounted for. People like, aren't that clever. They, they like, use a playbook. They they stick to a playbook even when it's kind of a failed playbook. And he's not a virologist. And no, yeah, he's, he's the second biggest donor to the WHO after the Chinese. I mean, so he's that's that's he's been playing reason. in this sandbox for a while. So all I'm saying is it's logical if this is where his philanthropic efforts have been focused for him to have been involved in these kinds of planning exercises. My understanding is there are many pandemic planning exercises that happen on a regular basis. We're attuned to this one because a pandemic happened shortly thereafter. But how many have they had before that there was no pandemic? I don't know the answer to that because I haven't dug into it. But, I mean, I, I know these guys exist. I mean, one of the guys I started following on this early on is part of a pandemic uh, response unit. He's a biostatistical modeling expert or something like that. And all he does is figure out if a pandemic happens, how do we react? If we do this. Sure. So there are jobs but doing this all the time. But the, the, yeah, I'm not. I'm not saying that that's not the case. That, but that can be like when atheists say there are ten thousand gods. Why do you have the right one? It's like, well, let me tell you. There's this was. It was all the players. It was all the Fauci operatives. It was Gates, and they came up with a fact pattern that doesn't really match the fact pattern for this coronavirus. And yet we're using the playbook, and it's all of the globalists were there at uh, the Johns Hopkins group. Bill and they hadn't Gates done Foundation. it. I mean, who would Fauci be said this would happen involved in this? 
It's it really fishy. Sense. You're not getting around the fishiness. You're, I mean, no, nothing I, here is getting around the fishiness. But they also say we have a, a major pandemic about once every hundred years. Yeah. That, that number's been thrown around for a long time. So it's, I know, but it was like three weeks later, Steve. All I'm saying is I don't have the exact answer. That's really, 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 really fishy, the, the timing of it all. Like, and and because, some of the other events that I'm because not. Because they knew what was going on in China. Maybe they, maybe they knew that it was coming because the, they say the first infections in China happened in October. The other oh, yeah. thing is, it was this is just the MO for conspiracy theories. You point to an ostensible motive, then you point to uh, timing, you know, I guess, like, idiosyncrasies in timing and um, coincidences in timing, and then you say, who benefits from this thing? So you create the motive, and then you say that there's a causal link between the event, the timing, and the motive, and just stop making every conspiracy theory. Just look oh, at the evidence. That's no. just how it goes. No, that's not how it goes. I'm not part of anything. Stop saying that. But it's they, not, that's not what happens. It's it literally, works. you're just not answering direct questions. There's mountains of evidence that the C CP covered, uh, colluded with the WHO to cover up the ideology here. I mean, that's a fact. You were making fun of a month ago with, with similar, like, uh, verve dave you're making fun of the fact that, that that's just debunked now and they like the mainstream media does how it works is it uses these fake debunk sites like what happened with pizzagate there's not a, an ounce of debunk in any of it there's not a fang there uh pizzagate is absolutely real and all of the the most dangerous aspects of it are on completely public record are on the twitter role of whatever that that uh ping pong planet guy's name is so when you stick to what's on public record you can you can make you can navigate these things not with certainty but uh like steve says but except you can do so in a way that's that's really you can ask important questions why why does the media not go back and redact and say okay this did not come from a, a wet market we don't know if it was an intentional or an accidental release from this wuhan place but this is what trump says now he said it last well, week. We don't know that. It's all speculation. And just because you can... Wait, wait, no, it's, it's not... I mean, we arrive at a conclusion. And furthermore, just because the CCP, the Chinese, are in bed with the WHO and it works together to craft a narrative that makes China look a come out smelling a little bit rosier from this whole uh, debacle, that doesn't mean that, therefore, there was collusion with, and China had some nefarious motive. They just, like I said, dictatorial regimes always want to look less incompetent than they are. And if China bungled, which they did, in a major way, the response to this virus outbreak, however it happened, then they very much don't want to look That's like villains in they the eyes of the world. If Moreover... That we don't know the origin of the virus. And it's still very much mainstream to say that this thing came from natural evolution from bats. And then you speculate as to how it got from bat to people, but Chinese people do eat bats. So you can have both. No, no, but you can have both there. I mean, the thing is, is that there, there is no evidence yet that anybody has produced that this was engineered. But the, the belief of U.S. intelligence on the ground in China is it came from the Wuhan lab. It, it, it ex escaped. There were job postings. Stephen Moser brought this to my attention. There were job postings in October, September, November about doing research on horseshoe bats in Wuhan 
at the lab, uh, you know, th they were clearly working on this research at the time. There are no bats native to that area that are like the ones that this virus came from, so this wasn't a wet market thing. The closest horseshoe bats live to this area is 800 miles away. There, it's not a naturally occurring thing. I mean, there's a lot of indications pointing to the fact this came from a lab. Doesn't mean it was engineered. It could be that they were just studying this virus and thinking about what could we do with it. Right. They, so, don't, they don't know. Yeah, that's what I said. They, we don't know if it was malicious or incompetency. But except we do know that it's not naturally occurring. I think China That's spread it maliciously, and I think it's almost impossible to argue against that. And the reason for that is I agree. they shut down internal tra travel within China the minute that they realized an outbreak had happened. They started implementing draconian quarantine measures, up to and including burning people alive in the crematoriums. I mean, there are multiple witness accounts of, of that happening. Right. Uh, and they were doing everything they could to contain it inside. And then they said, international travel, go, go, go. Right. China yeah. sees itself in the world as, as having a right to be the world global leader on all things. It, it is this vision of hegemony that they have. And so the idea that they would be crippled by this thing and not take out the Western powers that, that are their rivals was unacceptable to them. Now, they're not going to admit it, but that looks like the most likely motive is we're going to take the hit. No, everybody's going to take the hit. We're going to all go down together. It's but interesting. Machinations of an evil regime. That doesn't sure. mean that there's like a specter organization headed by uh, Dr. Evil that is sitting around scheming to uh, either wipe out two-fifths of the world's population or to sell Windows 2020. No, that's, but that's not anyone's theory. It's just the WHO is in bed with China. Bill Gates and Fauci have deep, deep, decades-long connections to WHO, and they're running point on this. So there's a lot that's fishy that has nothing to do... And also, um, what you're saying is what wouldn't look bad for China is, hey, we had a natural outbreak, right? What would look bad for China is, whether it's incompetency or, or a malignancy, you know, this comes from a Wuhan lab. So they wouldn't, they would, it would be an opposite, right? It's counterfactual to say that they cover their, their ground by, uh, I mean, they would not want it to come out that the Wuhan lab is the ultimate uh, right. ideological source for this thing, not the other way around. They wouldn't be embarrassed by the fact that it's natural, and I mean, I, I have suspicions that it's not natural and that the reason that we're not saying that is because if it isn't, it's an act of war. Right. Who yeah, has to I agree with China that. right now. There's yeah. that. But also, Absolutely. if it were natural, I, I feel like they, they kind of bungled the response at first to cracking down on this virus and to taking the appropriate public safety measures in order to stop its spread. So because of that, Natural or not, they just want to uh, cease the flow, to stanch the flow of information with regard to the virus to the rest of the world. So they're covering up and they're being, you know, reticent to be transparent because even if it, it say what you will about its origins or speculate here and there, um, they're worried about the world's response to their incompetent response to the virus. And that's the one part of the economic analysis that I find perplexing that you offered, Tim, is that, I mean, Trump specifically, but I'm sure he's not alone. The response is, forget China, man. We're not going to do our manufacturing over there. Forget the global economy. I mean, Trump came out this week and was like, I've been proven right by this. 
you know, it's terrible that so many people have had to die to prove it, but our supply chain is broken. Our manufacturing is overseas. Globalism is crap. Everything needs to come home. Yeah. No, and, and so it seems like it's having the opposite effect. If that's what they were going for, it, it, I don't know that it's going to work. Well, they ultimately can't control Trump. I mean, Trump Trump figured it out. I don't know why he won't get rid of Fauci, because you gotta you got to fly in the ointment there. But yeah, I, I'm with Trump on this in everything aside from, from keeping keeping the uh, the gates operatives around um running running point on him i i think you're absolutely right pull the manufacturing back he he tweeted out last week this was manufactured in a wuhan lab i'm absolutely there uh you know blame blame china but blame all of the the operatives that we have here uh that are that are thickest thieves with china namely gates fauci burks ferguson all those people i think um yeah, they need to be looked into. It needs to, the, the one thing that's dangerous and ignorant is to sit around and to mo- keep say, making Dr. Evil jokes and say, let's not look into this. Ever, we need to audit the WHO. There needs to be some sort of... Uh, we need to audit the CDC, right? We need, we need investigation. And then mock the um, tinfoil hat people once you find, no, this is completely right. There's no one here with an adverse interest to American interest because that's what I care about. But I mean, I think that's one of the biggest problems with things like people pushing this pandemic video that's been, you know, debunked five ways from Sunday already. And so many people are pushing it. There's Dave's confirmation bias. People want to believe this is a hoax. They want to believe this was foisted on us for some nefarious political purpose. I think that what we are actually seeing is opportunism across the board. And and that there is certainly things that are fishy, 100%. Don't disagree with you. But when you push these bullcrap conspiracy theories, and when you overstate your case and you're talking about shadowy forces and all this stuff, what winds up happening is the real things that are going on get laughed off too. And it, it just does damage to the cause. And I wish people could, could exercise some temperance and some prudence. Be suspicious. I mean, be suspicious of everything. Question everything. Do your homework. Do your research. Double check the information. A hundred percent. If somebody ske- there, there are sketchy forces in the world. We know that. But I just think that it's so easy to say, "Oh, this was all planned," and you know, there's all these very like, who are these brain trust guys out there who are so smart that they can execute something on on a global scale like this? And then, secondly, why do we yeah. have petitions are going to stop them? Well, that, its execution <laughs> is falling short. But yeah, what people should uh, what you have to do your own research on. We were talking about Beck's old uh, mantra, which I think is really healthy, and to remind people is debunk, uh, debunk the debunks. Right? Do your research as far as you can on debunk sites like Snopes that say it's like a right myth or something that you know who knows what Bill Clinton had an affair. They'll 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 just say anything because they're partisan right. is a myth. Uh, debunk the conspiracy theory videos on your own. Do the research requisite to do so. There were some things in that video that have proven to be false. That doesn't mean the whole video is false, by the way. But um, And then, obviously, pretty much never trust the mainstream media or the mainstream media account, which I'm just... When I hear the mainstream media account or mainstream media silence, I start looking to do my own research. The problem is... And we're, we're really out of time, but it's a problem of information. Like they say on that late 1980s movie, Sneakers, with Robert Redford. It's all about the information. And it's hard to even do your own research at the level we're talking because, yeah. A, they're it's lying exhausting. with numbers. It's, it, and it's exhausting. And then well, none of us are doctors. I mean, 
I trust Masihi and Erickson because they're not kooks. I said they're two of the smartest doctors I'd ever met when I met them in 2013. Um, and they happen to be saying things that, that confirm my biases some, to, if I were being fully honest. But that I always said these are the two smartest doctors I've ever met. They are right-wing. They're, they're somewhat known. Uh, they're not being debunked collegially as uh, their data is bad. They're being debunked because people say, everyone knows these guys are really right-wing. But they're also really, really smart. I can vouch for them personally. I have on this. Um, just well, check whatever the, information you can. That's the point of the story. The thing is, it's, it's futile to speculate about conspiracy theories. And I know conspiracy theorists out there are not going to like to hear that. But do you understand if a bunch of guys sitting around eating Cheetos at 1 a.m. could really, like, bring down a worldwide criminal syndicate and crack, <laughs> like, hack into their plans and figure it all out so they could type it on, like, a blog with a blue background and green font, they wouldn't, the conspiracy theory would have failed. The conspiracy um creators, the purveyors of the conspiracy, the Dr. Evils out there, would be totally incompetent. The reason, if you were to believe in conspiracies, and, I mean, conspiracies are obviously real, but if you were to believe in these super nefarious, worldwide, criminal organization, strong men at the top, top-down uh, conspiracies that are so efficacious that they're pulling the strings for all of these horrible worldwide events, then... You have to also believe that those, the purveyors of those conspiracies are competent enough to not get caught by people who make, like, documentary videos. That's but the thing. they're not being There's, caught. That's, well, that's, you never distinguish between... If we can between... come up with all of this stuff and we can be like, well, I get it. Bill Gates, he's doing it to kill off two-fifths of the world's population. He's doing it for this, this, and this reason. He predicted he's getting in away 2018... Paul, that's he, right. He predicted this stuff in 2018. Uh, he's in bed with the WHO and I can trace his finances easily because they're public documents. They're matters of public record. Then this whole thing would have failed. That's why I don't believe in conspiracy theories. I just had this image, you guys, of somebody walking up to Fauci and pulling off the mask and it's Bill Gates. And it's like, and I would have gotten away with it if it weren't for you meddling kids. But everyone knows their <laughs> friends. That's the problem. It would be Scooby-Doo like. No, last thought, you yeah. never distinguish. You never distinguish. Because you're, you're, you're really, I mean, you've been pure rhetoric the, pretty much the last hour, Dave. And it's, it's all hot. Hot rhetoric, but in defense of some of these people, conspiracies are real, right? Brutus and Cassius formed a conspiracy to kill Caesar. Uh, bank robbers form conspiracies every day to, to do bank right. heists. They're it's real a real angry. thing. What The whole point of bigger conspiracies, whatever the biggest conspiracy that you allow is actually uh, real, the reason they hide in plain sight is because there are two... two uh, phases to opposing them. There's diagnosing guys with Cheetos or, or whatever image you picked. There are Cheetos-stained guys that can figure out... I would watch that movie. I would that watch hard. that movie. Which one? <laughs> the one about the Cheetos-stained guys who bring down the global conspiracy. Yeah, no, it would be a good one. It would be I good would one. watch that in a heartbeat. But just think about it. You, hiding in plain sight means you can have a bunch of the more intelligent people or inquisitive people, whatever it is, uh, however uh, conspiracy theorists fashion themselves sitting around accurately diagnosing, right? Like what happened kind of like with Malachi Martin, he's been largely vindicated over the last um, 
three years with even church militants reporting on on the supposed enthronement of Satan. Everyone laughed at that, myself included, in a video I did with Taylor Marshall. And then church militant is like, oh, wow, look at all this evidence. It should just be evidence-based. So a bunch of those guys, the reason the conspiracy didn't fail, assuming it was real, was because it's not just about a bunch of Cheeto-stained guys diagnosing. The smart, powerful people can get away with this because it doesn't matter when you hide in plain sight as they do, that a bunch of pockets of Cheeto-stained guys around the world are saying it in their base, their mom's basement. Um, what it also has to, what would be the mark of them not succeeding or failing is implementation of, of a counter plan, right? Which would mean they actually get fired. Why is Fauci not getting fired? Why, you know, Bill Gates, why is he never going to come down with this? Why are there never going to be a round of arrests, the way Jason Jones always says? There need to be a round of investigations of all the admin agencies and arrests made, if accordingly. My prediction, there won't be those, because it's phase two that's really, really difficult. Is like, we're sitting around speculating. I so suspect you're assuming there's a crime. I don't know if there's a crime yet. So why would there be an right. arrest for sure? Assuming we're that some shooting this. No, that they're. Well, I mean, everyone agrees. The the mainstream position is all right. This 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 was at least uh, an act of of quasi war on the part of the Wuhan lab, and it was either accidental, negligence, or recklessness. Whatever. People aren't going to go down for it. The American collaborators, the globalists that are flying back and forth, they're not going to go down for either negligence or recklessness because they because there are real conspiracies. That doesn't make it a conspiracy theory. Right? I predict that Fauci gets fired at the end of this. It actually makes sense that Trump is not firing him right now. I would, but as a matter of political expediency... You don't fire your crisis manager in the middle of a crisis, generally, unless things are at a total critical point. In generally, you wait until the end of the crisis. Then, when I mean, for in politics especially, when optics are so important and people want to be able to look to the administration and be like, they've got it together, and Trump knows the mainstream media is already just waiting to lampoon him if he, does, if he takes one step out of line. I predict, and let it be known to, for retrogrades out there, Fauci will be gone at the end of this. So once things cool down, I do think Trump will clean house and drain the swamp. He's been around for five admins. Uh, I wouldn't hold my breath. There's a reason why he's been around for five admins. I don't know the reason. What do you think, Steve? We'll give you the last word. What, why is Fauci still around? After his, I, I don't have an answer for that. Company. I don't have an answer for that. I haven't, I haven't looked into his particular whatever it is that he does uh, that much. I've actually mostly ignored him uh, because I'm not that interested in what he has to say. I'm interested in finding out what I can find out. I would like to say as my concluding thought that I think one of the most important things here is to retain enough intellectual humility that you can admit that you might be wrong because you don't know everything. I mean, that applies to me. It applies to everybody. Of course. And we need to, we need to revisit this in six months or, or whatever and, and do, you know, I don't know if it's going to be a post-mortem at that point. We get, no pun intended, don't mean to be morbid. <laughs> yeah. um, but just kind of... choice of words, yeah, Steve. Was like, when I'm dead, words. it'll be... Ah, <laughs> uh, that's what I get. But no, I think we should look at this again later and, and, and see how far off we were. What, what were the consequences of this? What did happen? Because there are so many competing theories on on what the country is going to look like. Some people are out there saying the economy is going to roar back the minute things are opened. 
Some people are saying, like you, you know, it's going to be the worst Great Depression ever. I have no idea. There are credible people on every side of this issue, and it's going to be interesting to see what really happens because the best we're doing is playing armchair quarterback here. So Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. I, we, we should actually, same as we were going before coronavirus broke out, we were going to do uh, with our friend uh, Eric Sammons, you know, our, our predictions after the Amazonian Synod, Steve, you and, you and me. Uh, yeah. I don't know what coronavirus did to the life of the substance of those predictions, but uh, yeah, it's important to. to I don't know, the Vatican's down. taken a massive financial hit from this, though, and that's going to be a story that's going to impact other church news stories because there's no tourism at the Vatican, and that's where they're shoring up their their shortfalls, and and they're not doing well economically. There was a story about that just today that I saw. So people probably wanted us to talk about the uh, Cardinal Mueller led. Um, opposition you know the the pe- petition to oppose the the, the uh the n- globalism known uh symptoms and unknown symptoms of globalism that have been implemented by the worldwide left um on the heels of the coronavirus and we we didn't do that today there's a story three cardinals signed it um Archbishop just cut it out with the petitions, guys. Can we yeah, just the stop? Do anything. They just I, need to stop. They don't. They don't move the needle. And publicity yeah. grab is truly what it is. And but even at like this point, like it, it's kind of like how I, I love Archbishop Vigano and the stuff that he's done. But he's managed to downgrade himself from prophet yeah. to pundit by by constantly speaking up. And when you do enough of these petitions, like people just roll their eyes at them, and that's where I am at this point. You know, yeah. letter number one hundred and twelve. Uh, yeah. yeah. The proper method for dipping your hand in holy water is to use the two front fingers of the right hand. It's like you know, the, yeah. The first letter was cool. The second letter, you know, you're all right. But just can we have a break from keep a little bit of your powder now? dry, guys? Just right. a little, you right. know. Because if this is all you've got in your arsenal are petitions and there's no more action beyond that, man, save them for when you need to. This got serious fast. You know, we... we, we, Go ahead, Tim. We thought he had documents. You know, I thought thought he had a kill switch that he was going to open up on Pope Frank. I mean, remember those days? Those were... Yeah. Those were the glory days, man. I was so... I mean, we all thought, uh, Taylor and I thought, a lot of LifeSite News thought that that Vigano had a kill switch, and then it was like, hey, out yourself, tell what you did, or I'm going to tell on you. I have, I have, you know, photostats of all these, or, or whatever's better than a photostat. And yeah, he looks like he doesn't, and now he's just, yeah, he's, he's cool. I'd love to have him on the show for, for some punditry, but he's it's no longer prophetic status. That's certainly, I, I'm with you. No, I was going to say, this, this whole thing, we, we started off joking, talking Star Wars, and talking about Steve's interior decorating. He got serious fast. That escalated quickly. Um, <laughs> was that serious? These, no, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Dave, I mean, Dave, you're, you're going at the conspiracy theories with a lot of hot rhetoric, so I, I'm not sure that it matters. Any, I, I don't think it's serious. Dave, I'm you're not planning that. on committing suicide or anything, right? How did you know, Steve? <laughs> well, the conspiracy theorists no, don't dude, do anything. They just speculate. I have a hatred for them, actually, because that I've lost people that I know um, because whether it's conspiracies about cancer and medical research having to do with cancer and the doctors want to keep you sick, so don't be on chemo, but eat a healthy diet. And then if you eat a healthy diet, you can cure your own cancer. So 
you know, I, I've known someone dear to me that did this, took these steps, and obviously diets don't work for curing cancer, and, you know, chemo and radiation and things of that nature, modern medicine, they do work. But it's always the medical establishment, they're trying to pick your pocket. It's not the two-bit goon that's trying to sell a stupid quack book that's trying to line his pocket by peddling sensationalism. Uh, I just... So I've, I've seen how it works, and I've seen how it works out, and I, I do have a, a special disdain for the for quackery. All the all problem around. is, my, my only problem with you is all the question begging. I mean, like, there's no intellectual humility in saying you know the difference between a conspiracy and a conspiracy theory. Like, I'm all with Steve, even though we have disagreements on this. You're, uh, you're just kind of branding anyone that disagrees. I mean, you're still saying you think this came from a wet mark and it, it wet market and it was live. If anyone's reacting, it's like, well, I mean, you're just saying that they're all crazy people that believe in Dr. Evil that wouldn't use real cancer medication. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa it's way more specific and there are way more facts. And there are a lot of facts that most of the facts militate against that. So, I mean, people, maybe it's the idea that you're begging the question as to who falls into this ethereal category of conspiracy theorist. That's well, conspiracy theorist means there's not sufficient, uh, I mean, baked into the definition is the understanding that there's not sufficient evidence to come to well, a no one would be firm a conclusion. <laughs> That's the thing. No, because that, and no one would be a conspiracy theorist. What differentiates a conspiracy theorist from somebody who's intellectually honest is the firmness with which they hold their conclusion. I can be like, this is fishy in a lot of respects with something where, where the facts aren't all in. Or I can acknowledge I don't know all the facts. And I can be like, there are questions that need to be asked. Conspiracy theorists are always firmly tethered to a I would agree with that definition. And it's, yeah. it's rooted in the will, not in the They animal. posit it as true without the evidence to, to, to show that there's a conspiracy fact. I would agree a with that. I think agree. It's just the problem is trying to apply that to COVID-19, which is like the fishiest thing that's happened in any of our lives. And the most evidence, direct evidence, militates against the mainstream media's uh, um, characterization of the events of anything in our lives. So the problem is, why are you talking about it here today? Uh, it's, this is not... I agree. There's a lot that, that needs to be known. A lot of investigations need to be made. But I'm I mean, saying that you, there's not enough evidence to come to a firm conclusion, or even a not firm conclusion. There's a worldwide cabal of like some criminal syndicate who's been planning this from the start in order to affect all these... Uh, the WHO fits that. Oh, I, I don't want to get back into it, but we we just talked about all of the nefarious, powerful connections which give the, both the motive and the opportunity to do it. Whether or not they did it is a, a different issue. But um, that's that's why. Yeah, I mean, so that's what I meant about the the paradox of intellectual humility. It, it's not just on the side of people that are a little bit more free-willing in their intuitions about these things. You're calling all of them. I, I, at times, I've even felt like me, conspiracy theorist here, it's like, no, intellectual humility is needed all around. Uh, the, you know, fact-checking is needed all around. Because this is, if you can't say COVID-19 is fishy, then you are a company man, and you will go along with anything. Because this is the fishiest thing, the best contender for a somewhat big conspiracy, you know, it doesn't mean all the people in the world, but a, there are facts here that need to be looked into. Maybe it's wrong. Uh, the non-falsifiability of truly kooky conspiracy theorists is what I think uh, gives them away, but they're, 
there needs to be falsifiability all around. How's this? How's this for an end game? While all this has been going on, the Pentagon declassified the fact that there are frigging UFOs and they're hiding it behind the COVID-19 pandemic. Huh? The government knows that an alien invasion is coming. You guys aren't biting at all on this. <laughs> well, I, I, I was real at first. Right. No, the, the Pentagon serious. really did declassify UFO videos and say, yep, we don't know what they are. No way. Right now? <laughs> they did it like a couple weeks ago, and nobody noticed because everybody's been focused on this. Oh, I didn't know that. That's there are weird. several military, like FA-18 Hornet pilot videos of UFOs that have come out that have leaked in the last few years. And the Pentagon finally declassified them and said, yes, these are real. No, we don't know what they are, basically. Wow. That's weird. Did they come from Wuhan? They might have. That's weird, man. I didn't know. They actually came from a Wuhan wet market, which is the weirder thing. (laughs) They're dry dry (laughs) objects, unidentified as they are, but they came from a paradoxical wet market. All right, well, this is the longest video we've ever done. At, a, at an hour 48, and uh, we should stop right now. But, uh, Steve, we always enjoy having you on. Yeah, it was uh, a wild show. Thanks. Was yeah, it was a wild show. Nice Star Wars poster. Even better uh, Gadsden poster. And you're going to catch hell from people for having those anywhere near the level of your Mary statue. <laughs> I'm Have so excited. Time. I'm looking forward. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be fun. It, it, Get ready. Yeah. We're all sick of catching hell from anyone, the, the three of us, right? We're, we're not going to yeah, take it anymore. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I just don't go on Twitter anymore. It's evil. The devil made Twitter. How's that for a conspiracy I, theory? I, I think you may be right. Are. But Steve, you can't resist the bait of when somebody uh, like says something stupid on Twitter. I can see, like, if, if you and I are in like a Twitter thread together and someone says something just stupid, asinine, <laughs> um, I can like almost picture Steve like looking at the tweet on his computer or on his phone and just like steaming, like in the the Chris Farley SNL video where they're like. Did you know you're not drinking? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the really replaced crystals? your coffee with decaffeinated crystals? Right, exactly. <laughs> I can see Steve just sitting there smoldering with rage. Like, son of a you And like the, the keyboard <laughs> is like heatedly and frantically punching the keys to get Disturbingly accurate, Dave. <laughs> I've gotten better at it, though. I, I, I really have. Like, I've resisted so many times in the last few weeks. I just look at it, and I'm like, scroll, scroll. I'm not going to engage. Did I have any way? I was telling Steve, I was like, bro, I was on Twitter more than I normally am when Abby was in the hospital, which was really bad just because I had nothing to do when right. she would fall asleep and I was sitting by her bed. It was making me miserable. I mean, a bunch of these jerks out there were making me miserable when I was in a children's hospital with my kid. So they should all feel really guilty. But I'm like, I'm on a lot. And I was telling you, I was like, man, being on this much is bad, bro. Like, no, it's not good for you. Was good for- Way. You want to throw down. It's like it distills down the essence of what's wrong with every argument and mainlines it for you. <laughs> yes. Yes. Short bursts of, of mean things to say and non-critical analysis yeah. and non-falsifiability. And people and there's somebody saying, despite all those facts and reasoning that you've just provided for me. I still hold true to my untenable original <laughs> position. Like when you were explaining to that to the Catholic prude that thinks all you can do to make a baby with your wife is hold hands or whatever it was. 
<laughs> in response to my video on Catholic sexuality, where I'm citing like all of the best moral theologians from the past 60, 70 years, and people are like, nope, nope, you got to cut a hole in the sheet. You can't look at each other in the face. <laughs> when you were getting sucked into that, I was like, dude, this is a black hole. Don't start talking about it with him. There's nothing you can say that's going to change this guy's mind. He's obsessed with not making proper love to women. And you, you like, I, I tried to save you. Three this and a half needs hours to be the intro life. to this episode. Like, totally throw people off. Cut this, put it before the opening music. I'm telling you. People are going to watch and they're going to not know what the hell hit them. I tried to. It's probably going to happen anyway. Yeah. <laughs> this Where is, yeah. <laughs> it's an eight hour episode. We talked about sex, Star Wars. We're not stopping this episode until they lift quarantine. That's how it's going to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's a marathon episode. Of... <laughs> oh, gee. All right. Let's just, that, I mean, I, that, those are all good thoughts, but let's just, and I do agree with Dave. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you've been, I, I'm just off Twitter aside from like one token thing. And yeah, I just look for notifications. You know, there's a lot of news on there and I'll, I'll go look for it. I'll look if anybody's pinging me on something that matters and then I'm out. Depending what pinging you means. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there's too much pinging. There is a lot of pinging. All right. You guys, uh, you guys be good now. You this hear. is a disaster, Tim. <laughs> All right, you guys. Uh, God bless everyone. Have First nice. episode ever. <laughs> <laughs> See ya. Bye. Peace.